Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. There's always ways to make more money. So really, when you're thinking about how you're spending your time, do it wisely. Hello and welcome to the In For A Penny podcast, hosted by me, Josh Gersler, a chartered financial planner and owner of The Orchard Practice, and co-hosted by Mark Schoffman, a personal finance journalist and owner of Cavendish Content. We're here to simplify all things personal finance and money related, in the hope that you will be able to learn one small thing each episode which helps improve your life and have some fun whilst you listen to us. Hit the subscribe button so that you never miss an episode. Firstly, I must apologise for the sound of my voice this week. The kids have been back to school and brought home a cold for me. And who said children didn't like sharing? And just when I need to rest my voice, Mark decides to miss this episode as he forgot that we were recording on his daughter's birthday. So he's left me flying solo. This episode is my interview with Jamie Fiore Higgins, author of Bully Market. I recently read her book, which is so unbelievable that I had to get in touch with her and invite her onto the podcast. Jamie was an MD of Goldman Sachs in America, and her book talks about the discrimination she faced, the bullying, the physical assault, the extramarital affair for, the, for those of you who like a bit of blue, and how she managed to eventually break away from Goldman. There should be a link in the show notes for those who want to read her book, and I would really recommend it. So, in for a penny, listeners, I give you the latest episode, my interview with Jamie Fiore Higgins. Let's start with uh, an easy one, but a, a deep one, Jamie. Okay. What inspired you to write your book and tell your story? When I first left Goldman, I had no intention of even writing a book. I had all those journals, of course. When I left, I had this amazing opportunity to take a sabbatical and spend time with my children. And that meant a lot of volunteering work. And I was kind of new on the scene because I had been working so much. A lot of people didn't know me. And what I discovered was it's a little atypical to leave a career at 40. Yeah. And so people would say, oh, you know, oh, you know, where are you from? What did you do? And I would tell them some stories and I would tell them some of the anecdotes I covered in the book. And their reaction was so incredulous that I almost started experiencing my experience in a new way. Okay. Don't get me wrong. I knew it was unhealthy, but it was really the reflection from others reactions that really made me see it in a new way. And then at the time, there were a lot of these social justice movements going on. And I saw that we were in a world where people were really encouraged to tell their stories. And so I just took my journals and expanded on them. Again, not really knowing where it would go, but it was a great thing for me to work on while I was very much in the trenches of raising four kids when I left, my oldest were seven. So I had four kids, seven and under. Okay. And so in the writing of the book, what I found is why I then decided to write it and really got interested in writing it was 
it really helped me credentialize what happened, putting it to paper. And the exploration of it really helped me reframe and make sense of why I tolerated what I tolerated, why I perpetuated, why I perpetuated, you know, why I did it. And it's another way for me to also make amends to the women I've let down. Okay. So, you know, it wasn't a first day out of Goldman, let's write this book. It kind of was a evolution. Lovely. As a, uh, a father of four, I share some of the challenges and enjoyments that you that you have as well. Yes. How do you hope your children respond to the book when they're older? I think the big takeaway from my book is don't let what you do define who you are. And my parents did the best they could, and I love them dearly. But in my book, I talk about passing the baton. My brother was like, you're running the baton for our family. You're elevating the family. And I don't want to pass a baton like that to my children, but rather the notion that they can find careers that are fulfilling, um, where they're compensated and when they feel good about themselves. So I think that's the real takeaway. I want them to feel empowered to choose the careers they want. And once they decide the careers that really fill them with passion, make sure they align with organizations that are really aligned with their values. There's an interesting point there to make sure that, uh, that our children have careers that that they're passionate about. How do you sort of reconcile that with making sure they too earn a decent income and can support their families? So some careers, it goes hand in hand. You love what you do and you get well paid for it. Other careers, you can love it, but it's really badly paid. How would you explain that to them and how to deal with that? I think an analysis needs to be done, right? Like you're a finance guy. I think a lot of it has to do with understanding money. Yeah. I mean, even at a young age. So my oldest kids are 13 and a half. The working age in the States is 14. They are chomping at the bit for a job because I think Working is the best way to understand financial literacy with all due respect to Starbucks coffee. And I enjoy it when I do. There's something to be said when you buy a coffee for six bucks and you realize you have to work probably close to 45 minutes to earn that. Yeah. So I think number one is just really understanding what things costs um, and making sure that, you know, I have an aunt who never had much, um, wasn't educated, never had a high paying job. She is 92 and the happiest woman you have ever met because she really appreciates the important things. So I think it's number one, realizing what money can buy. And number two, understanding what's really important and what that costs. And, you know, the irony with me was I was making this oodles of money, but the truth is, Josh, like I never had this. I, I'm, I've never been into material things. I could have left years ago. It was just this whole kind of almost minefield I was in that was forcing me to stay. So I think it's 
understanding what money costs, understanding what lifestyle you want to live. And then the, at the end of the day, it's their choice. They need to know, okay, here's passion. You're not going to get paid. That's going to mean that maybe you can't buy X, Y, Z. Each person has to decide if that's important. And as we know, there are many people who do things they don't like to do because they make oodles of money. And in their mind, their maybe mental health, their relationships with their family is worth the country club lifestyle. Everyone has to have, everyone has to be able to make their own decision. To me, I want my kids to know all the variables in the equation that they can then make the decision. Let's, um, Let's talk about what you call the spreadsheet of freedom. So yes. for for our listeners that haven't read the book and hopefully we'll go and buy it after our after our chat today, why don't you tell them what the, the spreadsheet of freedom is? So <laughs> so the spreadsheet of freedom was an Excel spreadsheet I created with line items of what I felt I needed to accomplish financially before I gave myself the permission to walk away. Okay. Now, I will say that in retrospect, my relationship with money at Goldman became very distorted. And I did not come from money. And I was not taught to really value material things in my family. Money was for good food, good shelter, and good education. That's really it. But when you're in that environment where you're making so much money, one, and two, um, you really are told to believe that you will never make money again, because that's something I was told over and over, that you'll never make this money again, that I had this fear, it would be like this. You're told you're about to go into the desert for the rest of your life without any food or water. And here is an all you can eat buffet of money. It was like, I felt like I had to gorge myself before I left to the, which was really a lie they told to me. And I believe because I can still make money without Goldman Sachs. So anyway, in any event, I created this spreadsheet of things that I felt were important to accomplish financially, stuff like saving for retirement, reducing mortgage expense, save for kids' education, that kind of thing. Yeah. And in my mind, I said, when I hit this number, then I can leave without guilt. Yeah. I think this spreadsheet of freedom is a powerful tool because I think all of us can create spreadsheets of freedom or goals to kind of, because a lot of people aren't happy with their jobs, but you know, if you have something you're focused on to kind of work toward, you can make a plan. But I do want to say that a lot of the things on my spreadsheet for uh, freedom were a little frivolous because I was so afraid I would never be successful again. I almost started making up extras to put on it to give myself permission to leave. How did, uh, I don't know which names in the book are real or, or which aren't. So is Dan your husband's? Yes. Real so name? the real names in the book are my immediate family. Everyone okay. else is different. So um, when you were going through the spreadsheet with Dan, was he not able to sort of say, we don't need that on there. We don't need that on there. Those are the frivolous things. Let's Let's lower our expectations. 
Yes, to an extent. And certainly toward the end, when things became very untenable, we said, this is your dead, like this is your drop date and to hell with the spreadsheet from then. So yes, absolutely. When not so much in the beginning, but when we really saw that the career was affecting our marriage, my relationship with my children, that he basically said, you know what? We're pulling the plug on this date and what will be, will be. The the spreadsheet of freedom is probably what we will call with our clients a financial master plan. That's so right. We, we prepare a lifetime cash flow and we look at all the variables, inflation, investment growth, and uh, all the life events that you want to have in there, the school fees, the the retirement. So it's it, it resonates a lot uh, with me and the, and the work that we do. And it's great you're able to do that yourself with your with your background. Um one of the th- I, I only finished reading the book in the last couple of days. So one of the questions I've been dying to ask you is again, I'll use the name from the book. Um have you heard from your friend Pete since writing the book? No, Shame. I haven't. That is still, I mean it's been years now, but it's still so tender to me because I never figured it out. So I'm not going to lie. I Google stalk once a year, (laughs) you know, Um, but no, I have not heard from him and I don't expect I will. And that's okay. I am making the assumption that he's really happy doing what he wants to be doing. Yeah. Let's hope so. It's good to think of it like that. Have you heard from anyone in the book? So some of the people that get a big, uh, a big part, has anyone been in touch to either say thanks for including me or I'm really unhappy with what you've said about me? So I have heard from, you know, pivotal people. Well, my mentor, Molly, we've been in touch for years. So I talk to her at least once a week. So um, I hear from her all the time. I have not heard from any of the characters that were more antagonistic. Yeah. Um, which doesn't surprise me. I actually have heard recently from some of the women I didn't help. Yeah, okay. And that 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 was tough, but I'm so glad they're respectfully calling me out on my behavior. Yeah. So that actually felt really good because I had not reached out to any of them, but held them so close to my heart in the process because that's one of my biggest regrets because although I always started off with the best of intentions for them and there were many of them when push came to shove I didn't help I always consoled and I also helped initially yeah. but when push came to shove I didn't help and I've heard from several of those women and I think they have appreciated my honesty. I'm sure some are still disappointed in me and I don't blame them, but I'm, but actually I know some have said to me, you know, hearing from your perspective has really reframed for me, my experiences of leaving the firm. You know, I always kind of joke that breakups with Goldman are always messy. Yeah. They're messy. They're messy breakups. They're never amicable breakups. So 
I feel like for some of these women hearing what I went through gave them a little bit more of a validation yeah. regarding with what they went through. In your role, so you were, I think that the, the uh, job title was managing director. Yes. So one of the most senior positions you can have in the, yes. in the firm. So you're clearly good at what you do or what you did. Yes. Is there any desire to get back into that type of role, but with a firm who will allow you, a company that will allow you to do things the right way? I don't think I want to go back directly to that world. I will say writing this book and, you know, part of it is writing this book. I want to do things differently in that I felt like at Goldman, it was like laser focused, just focused on what you were doing. Blinders up, right? Blinders up for your focus, blinders up that I didn't even want to acknowledge a lot of the stuff that was going on with me. And now I want to be a lot more open to opportunity. And so last week I was asked to join on a book club on Zoom. Okay. A bunch of women in Austin, Texas, average age of 28. And they were asking me all sorts of questions about money. And it really makes me realize that there's a lot of lack of financial literacy yeah. amongst people in general. I think women have more of an issue because of the pay gap. So, you know, just this last week, I was like, hmm, maybe that's a way I can bring my financial background for the better. I'm also a trained life coach. So I do work with a lot of professionals as they navigate the workforce, which is great because it kind of marries my business experience. That kind of more marries just my business experience, not my financial acumen. So when I was asked those questions by these women, I'm like, you know, maybe there's a a role there that some of these people need. Yeah, that's great. Yeah. So I'm kind of keeping my eyes and ears open to opportunities and where I feel like there's a need and where my experiences can serve that need. There's definitely a huge problem with financial literacy in my country in the United Kingdom, and like you said, in in yours. And one of the reasons we do this podcast is hopefully people will listen and just find one tiny bit of information that helps them turn around things in their life. So if there's something you can do to help with that, that would be that would be great for people. And you know, I think that people sometimes, and with all due respect for you and your clients, but maybe get a little bit glazed over when you're talking about some of the financial instruments and some of the strategies you employ. And I think a lot of people don't want to think about it, but yet money is so integral in like everyday life. So just because you're not well-versed in the options market, doesn't mean you can have just some basic knowledge about budgets. Yeah, what you spend versus what you bring in, and that's very tangible. People know what a Starbucks latte costs. People know what they bring in twice monthly from their paycheck. So it's always been fascinating to me how I get how the higher finance pieces of money can be a little bit overwhelming, but I feel like a lot of people don't pay attention to just the regular Main Street money transactions, which really at the end of the day, inform everything else. You need the basics as a, as a stepping stone to the more complicated pieces. That's right. 
what's the um best bit of advice with regards to money i'm talking at a basic level not an options and derivative level but the best bit of advice you can remember being given i have two great pieces of advice for money one given by my grandmother is this the one that you talk about in the yes. book very fondly lovely yes and one given by my mother okay and my grandmother was you know born in 1905 was in the thick of it during the depression and so it was advice but it was advice through action so it would have been my birthday and you know it's a birthday uh, aunt gives you $10, $5, $20. And my grandmother would come to me at the end of the day, hands out, hand it over. I was allowed to keep 10% of it. Okay. And the rest she saved. Okay. So that kind of concept of you don't spend everything. You enjoy a piece, maybe you donate a piece, and then you save the rest. Yeah. So always that you never spent what you made. Um, and with that also was the, the importance of, or lack of importance of things. Yeah. You know, in terms of, I talk about my book that I wanted a Gap sweater. Gap okay. is a real popular brand in the States. And she would say, but you have a, a closet full, right? So it's like when you really think about how you spend your money, how much how much it takes to earn it, what it costs, are you really getting the enjoyment? If the answer is yes, buy the sweater. But if the answer isn't yes, um, and always pick up pennies. My grandma always said, you pick up enough pennies, you get a dollar. Yeah. So value each little bit. So those are kind of the, the benefits of my grandmother. And my mother said this toward the end of my career when she really saw, although she encouraged me to go into finance, once she saw the toll it was really taking, she really wanted me out. And she said, you can always make more money, but you can't make more time. Fantastic advice. Time is a finite resource. There's always ways to make more money. So really, when you're thinking about how you're spending your time, do it wisely. I like that. We have a saying in England. I don't know if you have the same saying over there, keeping up with the Joneses. Oh, Jen, yes. How did you find uh, during your time at Goldman, um, you tried to maintain your grounding and not to get caught up in it. But can you think of any examples where it, it got to you and you had to have the, the latest thing or spend the money like everyone else? So, and I don't know if you're familiar with these companies in the UK, but the big, the big joke was I showed up at my first day at Goldman in a suit from TJ Maxx. I don't know if you know TJ Maxx or Marshalls. I don't know. We have TK Maxx here. So, so these are like stores that sell brand names for less. Yeah. So you never buy a suit at a store. You never go to Macy's or Nordstrom's. You go to TJ Maxx. Okay. And I got shoes from the bargain shoe place and all these women, you know, I didn't even appreciate it because I didn't even know. And for the most part, I stayed true to who I was. Number one, because it was how I was raised. 
And, it, and, you know, I even tell a story about my mom. She's going to be 80 on Friday. Last year on Happy Mother's birthday, Day. Mom. What's that? Happy birthday, mom. Thank you. Thank you. Yes. And we went to get a sweatshirt for her, for her when she walks with her friends. And we went to Old Navy. I'm sure you've heard of Old Navy. Yeah, I know that one. And she's checking out and it was $50. And she says to me, I can get this at TJ Maxx for 15 and I said, Mom, but we're here now. The TJ Maxx is down the street. Don't you know the next day she went and returned it and got one at? Bless her. Um, the other thing is I saw how people spent their money. Like, I'll never forget there was a woman I worked with. She was not doing well. Her career trajectory was sliding. She had a handbag on her desk and I admired it. And she told me it cost $5,000. And I was just like, oh my God, you could take your family away on a nice weekend for $5,000. But I will say my husband, he might've been my boyfriend at the time, I think felt that I needed a nice handbag. So he bought me a Louis Vuitton it's still on my closet. I mean, it's got to be 20 years old. I've never used it. Too nice to use. This is my thing, Josh. And I think Goldman did this to me because I really found that the talk about math, that I was a math major. I felt there was an inverse relationship between money and character. It seemed that the more money people made, the poorer they were in spirit. Yeah. So I didn't even want it wearing in public. I was almost like embarrassed. Like, what am I thinking who I am? Cause I have this Louis Vuitton bag. So it's still in my closet. <laughs> it's got to be 20 years old. So that would have been my one nice purchase that I just never feel comfortable wearing because I just feel like it's, I have no problem if other people wear it, but for me, I don't know. It just makes me feel like, like I'm superior. I um I had an experience when um I needed a new car. And I'm a bit like you. I'm careful with my money. And I think if I can buy something that does the same job for less, what's the point of spending the money? And so I had, I don't know if the brands are the same over there, but I had a Ford Fiesta car. Okay. Which I had for about 10 years from 21 to 31 years old. And I wanted to get something a little bit smarter, but I didn't want to get a luxury, flashy car. But I bought this car. I bought a uh, a small Lexus car. But driving around in it the first few weeks, I felt so self-conscious. Not that it's a particularly snazzy car or anything, but I felt that people were going to think I'm spending my money on things I shouldn't, and it didn't suit me. And I remember saying something to my uh, dad and he's just what are you talking about it's not even that you know that good a car (laughs) it's so funny right it's funny you bring up cars so we had a honda minivan that is 11 years old and 200,000 miles and now the crazy thing about kids is they get larger yes (laughs) so the four kids in the minivan worked when they were like child size, but now with two teenagers, my daughters are larger. And I find for peaceful transport, you need a lot of personal space between children. Yes. And so we had to get a new car. And with everything going on with the pandemic, 
it's really hard to get cars. So we got, I don't even know what it is. It's basically Ford's equivalent of like a Suburban. Okay. And to me, it's so big and it's white and I don't drive it. I still drive the minivan and my friends will make fun of me because the minivan has dents and there's a hole in the side. Yeah. And listen, there's nothing wrong. Like my husband's really good friend loves cars, like loves them, appreciates them. I don't really have an appreciation for anything material. So I don't begrudge anyone who likes that because they really enjoy it, right? It's all about spending your money on things you enjoy. I don't know the difference between driving a 10-year-old Honda versus a brand new Ford. It, it's all yep. the same to me. <laughs> Fantastic. Well, Jamie, I've, I think I've asked most of the things that I wanted to ask today, and it's been great to chat with you. Yeah. I'll put a, um, a note in the show notes, a link for people about your book, so they can uh, I'll link it to Amazon so people can try and uh, have a look at it and purchase it if they like. If people want to find out a bit more about you, what's yeah. the best way to go about it? So I have a website jamiefiorihiggins.com and on there it has all my links to my social and uh different things i'm doing and different places that i'm appearing you know your podcast will be on there once it hits yeah and yeah there's a contact um message i've gotten the most amazing messages from around the world um, you know, people where my stories resonated in one way or another, which has been so exciting. And I've been writing back to everyone. It's such a thrill when you create something that resonates with someone you don't know, that you feel like by being generous with your own experiences, that it touches other people. It's just an amazing feeling. So Lovely. yeah, I encourage anyone to write or message me. I love hearing feedback, both the good and the bad. Please remember, anything discussed in this episode shouldn't be taken as financial advice. But if you do need support, feel free to contact us on Twitter. You can reach me at Mark Schoffman and Josh at Josh Gersler. We hope you've enjoyed the show. Please leave us a review on your podcasting app that helps people find us and lets us know you're enjoying what you hear. So thank you for being in for a penny. penny.